So last week, we talked about the adulteress caught in the very act, as the text says, and we were curious about where the man was. But Scripture does not tell us. She was guilty, and she knew it. She's you, and she's me. If you have any self-awareness at all, you know you're guilty. And that she was. She had the insurmountable problem that all of mankind has, and that is God is holy and you're not. God is holy and I'm not. Science doesn't have an answer for this. Uh, Government doesn't have an answer. Education doesn't have an answer. Philosophy, morality, good works, religion. None of these man-made constructs has an answer to the problem that you and I have, and that is God is holy and we're not. There's only one who has the answer. We talked about Him last week. His name is Jesus Christ. He offers, we saw it last week in the text, He offers unmerited, undeserved, sovereign grace. The Pharisees were right. The woman should have been stoned. By the, under the law, she should have been stoned. And Jer, uh, Jesus, <laughs> He dispensed with the crowd rather easily. Um, and He showed her grace. She called Him Lord. You remember? The implication being, of course, that she came to receive Him in a saving way. So I, stopped, I thought I'd stop right at the outset and ask you, is He Lord when you wake up in the morning? Every morning. Not just Sunday. Every morning. Every morning you wake up, is He Lord? Does He call the shots or do you call the shots? Are you talking and listening to Him about every significant decision in your life? Or are you operating as a free agent? Do you really want His will above everything else in your life? Are you pleading with Him that He would show you His will for your life and not just ask Him to bless what you want to happen? Is that how it is with you and Jesus? Are you in the sanctification fight? Are you putting down sin and picking up holiness? Hey, if you're born again, you know what's right and you know what's wrong. Nobody needs to tell you. The Holy Spirit's inside telling you already. You already know. So are you in the fight? The Romans 7 fight? Putting down your sin? Are you finding ways to honor Him in your daily obedience? Are you you asking Him, Lord, I just want want to honor You today in my obedience. That's, That's what I want. Yeah, I want, a good, I want a good grade on the project and I want to do well at work. I want to be a good husband and a good wife and a good mother. I, I want to be a good friend. I want to be all these things. But preeminently, I want to make much of you in the world. I want to be your witness. I want to be your disciple. Right? Yeah. So we've talked about this many times. God is not interested in your religion. In fact, if we read our Bibles, we know He detests it. What does God want? 
What's the Christian answer? What does God want? What do you tell your friends? What does God want? He wants you. All of you. Not part of you. Not the religious part. Not the moral part. He wants all of you. Right? He wants the relationship. That's what Christianity is about. Christianity is about the relationship. It's not about religion. It's why I tell you when, when you come in here, we don't do religion in here. God hates religion. Religion is man's attempt to come to God with his own self-righteousness and works. Christianity is exactly the opposite. God has come down for us, right? We understand this. If we know our Bibles at all. So, Christianity is the inside-out thing. Jesus is interested in the relationship that changes everything in your life, right? It changes everything in your life. You say, Jim, there's still a lot of changes I need. Of course, the, the changes are, are, are perpetual, right? <laughs> They're perpetual. God is bringing you into conformity with His Son, which is the highest honor that could be bestowed on any creature. And this is what God is doing for us. You may remember three times, and I counted three times, once in the Old Testament, twice in the New Testament. God talks about religion. He says, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. He said, you worship me in vain. This is how God feels about religion. It's one of Satan's best weapons. He's convinced billions of people on the planet that I can just do some religious stuff and I'm good with God. It does not resolve the problem, the insurmountable problem that God is holy and we are not. You remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John 4? That God is seeking what? Anybody remember? God is seeking worshipers who would worship what? when it's convenient and it's not raining too hard, right? In spirit and in truth, right? What does God want? He wants your heart, man. It's, it's a heart thing. It's always about the heart. It's always about the heart with God. It always is, beloved. So this week, uh, young adults, have you read your chapter yet? Appreciate your honesty, Edu. We're studying Francis Chan's book, um, Crazy Love. We're at, we're at the worst, worst. Depends on your perspective. We're at the hardest chapter in the book called Profiles of the Lukewarm. <laughs> so, yeah, this chapter is a lot of fun, as you might suspect. But I love what Chan says in that chapter. He says, God's not interested in those who fake it, right? I've been doing this a long time. I've met a lot of pretenders. I meet them all the time. You know, since uh, yeah, I've been in ministry 34 years now. You just meet a lot of pretenders. They're just faking it, man. It's not real. <laughs> you know, they know how to do this, but you get out that door and it's it's gone. I love what Renee said Tuesday night. Renee, I hope you don't mind me quoting you. Um, we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I think that was you. I think that was you. I think it was you. 
Do any of us achieve this goal? No. But do, does every real Christian in this room strive for this? Yes. That I would love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, and all my strength. Jesus Christ has solved our insurmountable problem. How could we not love Him? How could we not obey Him? How could we not follow Him? How could we not give ourselves away to Him? If we really believe it was an insurmountable problem, and it is, if we believe that and we realize that Jesus spilled His blood to fix that problem, how could we not? give ourselves away to Him. So the context tonight as we get into our text, Jesus is in Jerusalem. The Feast of the Tabernacles has just been completed. And we saw that spectacular, uh, dramatic event when the, the priest was pouring the water on the altar and Jesus stands up and says, if any man is thirsty, come to Me and drink. I mean, I think you could have heard a pin drop it was an incredible moment. Jesus is the rock that specific ceremony commemorates the fact that God gave the Exodus Jews water out of a rock. Here is the rock standing in the flesh, right? Here is Messiah. Messiah has come to His city, to His people, to His temple. And He says, if you're thirsty, come. If you're thirsty, come and drink. God has come to save a people for Himself. And again tonight, as we get into John 8, we see Jesus once again use the symbolism of the temple. Some of you are familiar with this. Some of you won't be. If we, get to over to look, if we kind of just skip over to verse 20 real quick, we see that He is in the treasury as He taught in the temple. Uh, the treasury, this is the court of the women. This, this would be the most crowded court in the temple. Okay, Again, there are millions of pilgrims. There are at least a million pilgrims in Jerusalem during this feast. And there's one of the most beautiful ceremonies of this feast. It's called the illumination of the temple. And what they would do in the evenings is they had four menorahs who were 75 feet tall. Okay, These things are huge, right? Building size menorahs. And, and, and they would have huge candles on them and they would light these candles and, it, and it's, the historians tell us that all of Jerusalem would look like a diamond. It would light up all of Jerusalem, right? I want you to understand, Jesus is not saying this stuff in a vacuum. When He said, I am the water, when He says, I'll satisfy you, if he, when He said, you, if you're thirsty, come, it's right there at the temple ceremony when the priest was pouring the water out. And now at this, uh, this ceremony of the uh, illumination of the temple, He stands up and He says, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Now, if He says this in a vacuum, it's not nearly as powerful. But He's playing off the, the imagery of the temple. He is the fulfillment of the temple. The temple's all about Him, right? This is what the Pharisees could never understand. He's God. He's not subject to their little religious rules. He gave the law. He's arbiter of the law. Whatever He says is right. He's God. They never saw it because they didn't want 
to see it. So, Jesus is standing there and He says, I am the light of the world. These candles may still be burning. We know it's, er- we know it's relatively early in the morning. We saw that in, in verse 2 of chapter 8. The candles may actually still be burning. And <laughs> He's standing there and He says, I am the light of the world. They knew exactly what He was saying. You guys may remember Isaiah 42.6. talks about the light of the nations that will open the eyes and bring prisoners out of the darkness of the dungeon. He says, I am the Lord. That is My name. The prophesied Messiah has come and He proclaims Himself the light of the world. So I'm going to park on verse 12 for a minute so I don't want you to be alarmed. I'll finish the rest of the text. Okay? But I'm going to park on verse 12 just for a few moments. This light, this metaphor steeped in Old Testament illusion David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation, Psalm 27. Psalm 119, the Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Ezekiel 1 saw a vision of the Lord glowing in radiance. Habakkuk 3, uh, uh, the prophet writes, His radiance is like the sunshine. Isaiah 60, which says, the Lord is an everlasting light. So what have we seen in the last three chapters? I want you to think about these metaphors. Chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I know you're hungry. (laughs) God made you hungry. Your soul is hungry. Your soul must have God. Jesus says, if any man is thirsty, come to Me and drink. I know you're thirsty. God made you thirsty. Your soul is thirsty for God. Now, you can try to... You know, quench that thirst out in the world. You can try. You can try. If you get 82 years, you can try and you never will quench it. Jesus says, I'm the one that can quench your soul. And in chapter 8 tonight, He says, I am the light of the world. You know, there's, there's data on this. If you put a bunch of human beings in the darkness and you give them an opportunity to move to the light, they're going to move to the light. Human beings move to the light. It's what they do. Every living thing moves to the light. Human beings are no exception. We will move to the light. Jesus says, I am the light. Right? I am the light. For your dark soul. So, yeah, we are this adulterous woman. She met her Savior. His name is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the only answer. I am the only answer. We could say it this way. Without Jesus, we are spiritually starved, we are thirsty, and we are lost in an ocean of darkness. He is the bread, the answer to spiritual hunger. He is the water, the answer to spiritual thirst. And He is the light, the answer to spiritual darkness. So why is the world dark? We talk about this a lot because I think we always have to lay this groundwork. Why is the world dark? Did God make it dark? You made it dark. And I made it dark. And our forebears made it dark. It's dark because of us, right? God put us in paradise and gave us one uh, prohibition. This is what we've made of the world. You can read the newspaper. This is what we have done. Romans 1, Paul says it perfectly. Even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. They became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Again, The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, men walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. 
We're talking about soul darkness. We're not talking about optical darkness. We're talking about soul darkness. John 1.5, Jesus said, John 1.5 says that Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. John 3.19 tells us, and I think these are, yes, these are the words of Jesus, men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. 1 Peter 2.9 tells us that true believers are called out of the darkness and into the light. Okay? Just to give you some biblical context on this metaphor of spiritual darkness and spiritual light. Jesus even uses a word picture for, to describe hell. He describes it as outer darkness. A darkness you can feel. As the Scripture says, you remember John 1.4, in Him was life and the life was the light of men. Jesus is here to dispel the darkness. Those of you who know Him understand that reality. So, Jesus says what? He who follows me, I'm going to end, let's finish up verse 12 here. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus just keeps inviting men and women to follow Him. This is the, the invitation that just never stops all the way through the Gospels. Follow me, follow me, follow me. Come with me. If you're thirsty, come. If you're hungry, come. If you long to, to light up your dark soul, come. He just never stops the invitation. So I'll stop and ask you, have you accepted His invitation? If yes, I say go and live your life with glad, reckless joy. If you have not accepted His invitation, I would simply ask you, I would say, why not? Why not? You think you're going to get a better one? Do you think a better invitation is going to come along than the invitation that God has given to you to come and walk with God? Do you realize God says you can walk with Me? You can know Me? You can love Me? You can be in fellowship with Me? I'll walk you through every you know, valley of darkness. I'll be with you. Do you think you're going to get a better offer? I'm really, I'm just seriously asking. Do you think you're going to get a better offer? No, you're not. God says, come. Come and drink. Come and eat. Come and enjoy the light. I will shine into your soul. We understand this is a major theme of John. This pervasive unbelief among the Jewish people. And I just keep saying it to you. John 5.40 Jesus said to them, you are unwilling to come that you might have life. Jesus says, follow Me. And I think this is the problem, right? These guys didn't mind doing some religion. These guys were very religious. They would make your religion look pathetic. These guys were religious 24-7. But they didn't know God. Right? They did not know God. God. And I think that's the problem. Religion, let me say this to you, religion is always easier than walking with Christ. Okay? It's always easier. It's easier to do some stuff, check your box, put it on the shelf, than it is to be a true disciple of Christ 
where every breath you take, right? <laughs> He's called you to serve Him. He's called you to be His witness, right? It's just so much easier to be religious. It's, it's why pseudo-Christianity exists. <laughs> you know, it's why much of what the world calls Christianity is false. Because, I mean, people are drawn to just doing some religious stuff. But Jesus never called us to be religious. He never called anybody to be a church member. He says, come with me. Come with me and live. Right? <laughs> come and drink. And you'll be satisfied. It's the verb thing. Christianity, faith is not principally a noun. It's really more of a verb than a noun. What has Jesus said about it? He says, come and eat the bread. Come and drink the water. Come walk in the light. It's always a verb. Real Christianity is always a verb. Ultimately, James chapter 2. Faith without works is dead. So, if you read the text carefully, you see what it says. What do you have to do to have the light? Someone tell me. What do you have to do to have the light? What do you have to do? Go to church. Do a sacrament. Wait, that's not it. Be baptized. No. Pray the magic prayer. No, that's not it. What is it? Follow Christ. That's it. Follow Christ. You say, Jim, well, I, I was baptized when I was eight. Well, let me ask you this. Are you following Christ? You say, well, not really. Well, I say, well, your baptism was a sham. Disciples follow Christ. It's what we do. Do we fall into sin? Of course we sin. We need a Savior. We have to confess that. We have to be in the sanctification fight. Christianity is about following Christ. This is what he says. He says, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall have the light of life. It's about following Him, beloved. The devil believes in Him. The devil believes in Jesus. But he doesn't follow Jesus. <laughs> There's a huge distinction here for all of us, right? A biblical distinction that we all need to understand. So he says, you'll have the light of life. And you guys remember, I love this, John 10.10. 10. What kind of life did Jesus promise us? What? Pardon me? Eternal life. And he used another word uh, that's translated into the English out of the Greek. It's called abundant life. And I looked up this, this Greek word. Uh, you know, you don't have to be a Greek scholar. Just get a lexicon, right? Um, and there's all these adjectives talking about abundant. And, and I guess my favorite, I had two favorite ones. One was, God gives us a more than necessary kind of life. I don't have any idea what that means. But doesn't that sound good? A more than necessary kind of life. And then the other, the other one that really caught my attention was, was uh, 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 to, to live life vehemently, right? Of course, this is a beautiful contrast to what the young adults are studying. The, the, you know, this, this lukewarm phenomenon in the, in the church at large, right? God says, I've called you to abundant life to vehemently live for me, right? What does vehement mean? It means, it means to be extreme in, in degree, to, to have intensity and passion and conviction and 
fervency and energy and, and to be vigorous in what I believe and how I live. I love that. Jesus says, this is the kind of life I give. And I give it to those who follow me. I give it to those who follow me. So, why are most unwilling to come to Jesus? I think we, we understand the biblical... The, we understand the theology here. Men are God-haters and self-lovers. We get that, okay? This is what the Bible tells us about mankind. The natural man is, is, a, is a lover of self and he's a hater of God. If you're simply indifferent to God, you are a hater of God because He is worthy of all your love and your devotion and your obedience. But I think there's some other stuff going on here. There's some real unsavory traits like cowardice. And I'm just giving you the, the things I see in myself. Cowardice. Sometimes I, I'm just afraid to go with Christ. Sometimes I'm, a, I'm afraid to follow Christ. Sometimes I'm afraid to speak for Christ. Sometimes I'm just lazy. Right? Sometimes I'm just lazy about it. I'm just too lazy. I don't want to be inconvenienced. And I think a huge one for probably all of us in this room is control. I want to control my life. I don't trust God to control it. I need to control it. I know better than God. I know we never say these words, but this is what, by our actions, this is what we're saying. I believe I, believe I know better than God. So I'm going to control my life. And I'm going to try to stay inside this little safe box right here. You know what God wants to do? He wants to blow up that box so you can have the more than necessary life, right? God wants to blow up the box. Some of you won't let Him. You like, to, you like to live in your little box. Okay, I'm going to give you a personal testimony. It's way more fun outside the box. Okay? It's way more fun. Now, you'll have to take, uh, you'll have to discover that for yourself. But I'm an old man, and I'm giving you a testimony. Jesus says, follow me. You remember what he told the guys in Luke chapter 9. One guy said, well, I've got to bury my father first. Well, the point of that is, let me get my inheritance, and then I'll come. Jesus says, no. Let the dead bury the dead. The other guy said, um, let me say goodbye to, to those at home. And Jesus says, once you put your hand to the plow, don't ever look back. This is all or nothing. Listen, I know. It's all or nothing with Jesus. It's, you, you can't go halfway with Jesus. You say, Jim, you're, you're wearing me out, man. You're pushing me to the wall. I know. Why do I push you to the wall when you come in here? Because I love you. And because God pushes me to the wall in my, little, in my little humble study, God pushes me to the wall and He squeezes me up against the wall and He says, I want you to have a more than necessary life, Jim. And in order for you to do that, you've got to put this down, right? You've got to quit being lazy. You've got to quit trying to hang on to control, right? You need to stop being a coward. <laughs> okay? Hey, I'm not laying this on you. I'm giving you a confession. All right? Maybe you got it all going on. So, there are no preconditions to following Christ. We are either all in or we are not in. I'll give you one quick testimony here. Okay, most of you know I was in business for 20 years and then I went to seminary at the age of 42. And I, I went to visit the seminary August 4th, 1997. And I'm sitting at a fountain there and I am scared out of my mind to quit my career, quit my job, and go to seminary. And I'm sitting there at this fountain, and I'm praying, and I'm talking to God. And I told him, I said, some of you, I've shared this with you before, some of you will remember it. Um, I told the Lord, 
I said, I'm not man enough to do this. Right? You know what he said? He says, I know. <laughs> You're a big weenie. Right? I know you like control. I know you're kind of a coward. I know you're pretty lazy. Right? But here's what he said. I'm God enough for you to follow. This is what he said. In my spirit. I'm God enough for you to follow. You know, when we shrink back, you know why we shrink back from walking radically with Jesus? You know why we do it? Because we're looking, at, we're looking in the mirror. We're looking at our own resume instead of looking at God's resume. If you look at God's resume, you'll never shrink back again. You will never, ever shrink back again. If you're looking at God's resume, He is a competent God. He accomplishes everything He sets out to do. So, that was 20 years ago. Okay, I'm going to give you another personal testimony. That was 20 years ago. It's been the best 20 years of my 62. Okay? Yeah, it was scary, but man, it's been fun. Watching God do stuff out of thin air, right? It's been amazing. Okay, we're going to finish the, the rest of the chapter now. Verse 13, the Pharisee said, therefore to him, you're bearing witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Well, we had this discussion in John 5, if you remember. And Jesus is not bearing witness to himself simply we, understand, we, we remember what he said in John 5. He says, My Father has borne witness of me at his baptism. John the Baptist bore witness of him. His works and miracles bore witness of him. The Scriptures have borne witness of him. This is a false accusation. But you'll, you'll notice later, Jesus says, Even if I bear witness to myself, it is true he's God. He's not subject to the law, the, the Old Testament law, that you have to have two witnesses to corroborate something. Right? He's not subject to the law of man who is a liar. God is not a liar. Right? You, got all, you, almost, you, you need two plus men or women to, to, to substantiate the truth because men are liars. Right? We understand that. We've lived long enough. Everybody in this room. But God is not... A liar. But here's the issue with these guys. As we talked about last week, like it is with most, even today, they don't want to believe. It doesn't matter what Jesus says. It doesn't matter what Jesus does. Oh, He came out of the grave! That's not enough either. They don't want to believe. There's never enough words. There's never enough miracles. There's never enough testimony. There's never enough evidence. We've been talking about this. We've learned this in these last three chapters. If a man really wants to know the truth, he will know the truth. If a man doesn't want to know the truth, he will never know the truth. If you have a question about that, let me know. I'll give you the text on it. So, if it's your intent to keep Christ at arm's length, then you will, never, you will never know Him. But if you want Him, if you're hungry, if you're thirsty, if your soul is dark, your mind is dark, your life is dark, your hopes are dark, Jesus says, come. 
I am the light of the world. Verse 14, Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. We've been talking a lot about this. All they had to do was go to Bethlehem and check out the records. It's written in a book. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They think He's from Galilee. He could not be the Messiah. They don't care enough to go look. This is the problem. Verse 15, You people judge according to the flesh, and I am not judging anyone. Again, the superficial. They're, view, they're judging Christ superficially. They're not willing to really look at the evidence or do any discovery on their own. Jesus says, I am not judging Anyone. He comes the first time offering salvation. The next time He comes, He comes with God's fierce wrath. Revelation 19.16. It's what He says. Verses 16-18. to 18, But even if I do judge, my judgment is true. Why? He's God, right? For I am not alone in it, but I and He who sent me, the, the, the Father and the Son, the two members of the Trinity, their judgment is true. Verse 17, even in your law it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. Okay, he's saying, I'm giving you the testimony of the Father and the Son. I'm God. I'm the triune God. I'm giving you the testimony of the Father and the Son. Okay, I'll play your game. Here's the testimony of the Father and the Son. Bam! I've met your conditions. This is what he is saying, the Father who sent Him bears witness of Him. Verse 19. And so they were saying to Him, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither Me nor My Father. If you knew Me, you would know My Father also. Okay? He said, If you knew My Father, you would recognize Me. Again, this is an indictment on the religious leaders they know their religion. They don't know God. In just a few verses over in chapter 8, Jesus will say this, If God were your Father, you would love Me. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them because you, do, you are not of God. You are of your Father, the devil. You see how good religion is? <laughs> yeah. So, I'll just ask, do you know Him? We talked about it the last couple of weeks, I think, in Young Adult Bible Study. How do you know if you're a Christian? Oh, I'd love it if one of you remembered. Anybody remember? John 17, 3. This is eternal life that, what? They may know you. So, I'll just ask, do you know Him? Do you know Him? Is it real? Jesus says, if you want to know the truth, you will. If you will seek Me. If you seek Me. So here's my question for you tonight as we close. Are you following Jesus? Here's, here's, the, here's what the, definition, the dictionary says about the word follow. Are you going after Jesus? Are you pursuing Jesus? 
Are you obeying Jesus? Are you chasing after Jesus? Are you trailing after Jesus? Are you complying with Jesus? Are you conforming to Jesus? Uh, do you accept Jesus in His ways? Are you keeping your, your attention fixed on Jesus? Is that how it is with you and the Son of God? Yeah, this is the most breathtaking invitation anyone could possibly ever receive. Will you accept it? Will you go with God? You know, I preach like this because I don't want you to waste one more day playing religion, right? I don't want you to waste one more day playing Christianity. Millions of people do this all of their lives. And I say to you, when I say, will you go with God? You say, Jim, I don't know if I'm man enough or woman enough. I know the answer to that question. You are not. Okay? You are not. But He's God enough. He's competent. He's a competent God. And you can walk with Him. I'm going to close with C.S. Lewis. Some of you will recognize this quote. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to get wet, you must jump in the water. If you want joy, power, peace, and limitless life, you must get close to the One who possesses them. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of Christ. If you are close to Him, the spray will wet you. If you are not, you will remain dry. And here's the punch. Once a man follows God, how could he not live forever? Once a man refuses to follow God, what can he do but wither and die? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall get life. Simple message. Simple message. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table tonight.